Hello and welcome to Legally Speaking, a podcast series that aims to make the law and legal issues that affect your everyday life more accessible and maybe a little less scary. In this episode, I'm joined by Richard Coulthard, Partner and Head of Corporate Law for Eisen Harrison, who will be addressing the subject of IR35. Over to you, Richard. So, IR35, off-payroll working uh, regulations. This affects um, any uh, contractors who typically have been engaged on a self-employed basis, potentially through what we call a personal service company. Um, quite common in areas such as management consultancy, um, creative services like graphic design, IT contractors, uh, lots of sectors uh, affected by this. The idea behind the regulations is that those people are potentially going to be made to become employees of larger businesses. So larger businesses, typically over £10 million, turnover, um, 50 plus staff. Um, those larger businesses are, pay, are facing the tax liabilities um, of, of the contractors if they make an incorrect what we call status determination. Um, and so it's a, it's a big issue facing businesses. There's been a lot of news around the likes of the BBC uh, and other uh, big organisations making uh, historic contractors as employees to avoid the potential liabilities of the new IR35 regulations. So as a client or hiring manager, what am I going to need to do differently as a result? So when you are engaging with um, someone, um, we'll use an IT contractor as, as an example, um, who potentially you'd historically engaged as a, as a self-employed consultant to provide a service, um, you will now need to do a status determination to assess whether that person is genuinely a consultant or whether that person is, in fact, um, to all intents and purposes, an employee. IR35 is around what we call disguised employees, so people who, objectively speaking, looking out from the outside in, is an employee to all intents and purposes. And there's a series of tests um, that HMRC come up with uh, around this to determine whether someone is or isn't uh, an employee. How do I make a determination of the IR35 statement of assignment, then? So the um, you have to look at the overall picture. There's not a single question that you can point to and go, that determines whether someone is or isn't in. It's a case of looking at the overriding situation. Um, some of the factors include how much control does the engager have on the contractor's work, how they do it, where they do it, do they have to do it from a particular location. Can the contractor send a substitute? So can they have someone else that um, does the work for them and who controls that? How much financial risk the contractor has around um, the contract as a whole? Do they have to provide their own equipment? Do they have to insure themselves? Have they got some financial risk around the contract as a whole? Um, is there what we call a mutuality of obligation? So does the engager have to provide work and does the contractor have to accept that work? Um, because, again, either the situations would potentially say outside um, IR35. Is the contractor's role part and parcel? So do they have management responsibilities within the business? Do they manage staff? Again, that would tend to indicate someone is inside IR35 if they have management responsibilities. That's just some of them. Can you give me a little more detail on mutuality of obligation and, and how that's likely to help with making a determination? Yes, so in a, an employer-employee relationship, um, if a, a manager, if a boss says, um, I want this employee to do this particular 
work, this particular project, um, generally speaking, that employee has to do as instructed. It's different when you have a contractor, however. Um, typically, an engager will offer a project, offer a particular job, um, and the contractor is free to say, actually, I don't want to do that. Uh, and that shifts the balance of the relationship to more akin to one where it's a contractor uh, engager rather than an employer-employee. So it would be indicative, but not certain, indicative that it falls outside IR35. As a, say, I'm an IT contractor, what actions can I take as a contractor to ensure that I'm providing services in an outside IR35 way? So it's a case of looking what the overriding situation is. Um, some of our clients that we've been advising have created a risk assessment. Um, so they'll they'll go through the, the various um, HMRC tests to see whether um, overall the situation falls inside or outside. Some of the steps that you can take, however... Um, includes the right within the legal contract for you to have a substitute stand in your place and that you control that, um, that you have some financial risk associated with um, the contract. So, for instance, you've got to insure yourself, you can have some liabilities if you go wrong, um, and um, that you control whether, as a contractor whether you accept the work or not. Um, so that's just some of them, but um, one of the key ones is substitution policies. If, you, if there's a genuine right to substitute your services for someone else, that tends to indicate that you're outside IR35. So how exactly does the substitute work? Obviously, I'm, you've mentioned the fact that I, as the contractor, can manage them, but is there anything else that I need to be aware of if I am going to substitute? Yes, yeah, so let's take, um, for example, um, a creative marketing agency. Um, you might have one particular person who is generally the graphic designer. Um, that person could fall inside IR35, um, but if they if the contract is with um, XYZ company, uh, and whilst the services are generally provided by one particular person, if within the contract it says if that person's not available, they can nominate someone else within the business or potentially another self-contractor to do that work for them, and crucially, they have control of that, that is a genuine substitution policy which would generally indicate that you fall outside IR35. So another question that I have in relation to that is if a client, say I'm the substitute, even if a client tells me I need to use their equipment, is that something that will put me back inside IR35 based on that kind of graphic designer example? Uh, not necessarily. Again, if you're using a company's equipment, it can be more indicative that you fall inside IR35, but it isn't in itself a determinative factor. So let's say um, we'll use our IT contractor again as an example. Um, they may have to use, um, for maybe data protection reasons or other reasons, they may have to use the servers and the computers and what have you that are provided by the employer. But actually, in the wider relationship, if they've got mutual clients, they've got a substitution policy, they've got financial risk associated with the contract, they're still going to fall outside IR35. There may be very legitimate reasons why they have to use the uh, company's equipment. Um, so that isn't the sole factor. If I'm working via a statement of work, does that mean my assignment is still going to require a determination or would that kind of kind of absolve me from that responsibility so um we typically um would advise that that generally you have a, a, a what we call a master services agreement so there's an overriding contract um between a, a contractor and um, an engager 
then for each individual project there will be a statement of works now um, we would recommend that each statement of works is individually risk assessed to see whether that particular project falls inside or outside IR35 we've got clients that the vast majority of their work the vast majority of their services clearly falls outside IR35 but a very small amount um, you know where potentially they have to work on site between a certain number of hours and they might have to manage certain people we're saying that falls inside IR35 but just for that particular statement of work uh, and actually that helps um, legitimise the situation if, if HMRC ever investigated because you're doing a genuine assessment of the overriding picture um, and actually having that small number of uh, statement of work where you go, we accept this is inside IR35 helps justify the other ones being outside IR35. Is it possible to kind of operate outside IR35 if I work on two separate assignments at the same time? Would that kind of ensure that I... Set outside, or um, it, that in itself doesn't ensure you're outside IR thirty five. It may be indicative um, that you are, particularly if you've got multiple projects for multiple clients. If you if you can demonstrate that your personal service company is a genuine trading business, is offering services to multiple clients, uh, and you've got uh, things like marketing literature, business cards, a website that you can show that you're paying for marketing, that would tend to indicate. Um, a genuine trading company which will generally fall outside IR35. It is a case of uh, you know assessing each individual contract um, but HMRC will take an overview uh, of the override, uh, overriding situation. Um, you know if it, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, smells like a duck, it's probably a duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay so if I am deemed inside can I still claim expenses? That's probably what most people want to know. Yeah, so, so if you're sitting inside IR35, the situation essentially removes any personal service company uh, and you are, to all intents and purposes, an employee. And with that, you, you're entitled to you know claim reasonable expenses, travel expenses, things like that. Um, you may even be entitled to things like holiday and pension contributions. So um, if the status determination is that you're inside IR35, you really want all of the benefits of being inside IR35 and being an actual employee and the benefits that come with that. So I'm in. What else is likely to change for me if, if my clients determine a specific assignment to be within IR35 and for those rules to apply? Um, it depends on the circumstances. As I said, you might have assignments that are both inside and outside IR35 on the wider picture. Um, as I said, if you're in, you, they will... Um, or they can treat you as they would do any other employee, which may mean that they've got a, a line management policy. They may have other policies and procedures internally that they expect you to adopt, um, things like sickness absence or holiday or whatever the situation is. Um, you are essentially going to be an employee for that particular project, for however long that might be. So back to the employer as opposed to uh, individual contractors. I believe there's a responsibility for companies to show reasonable care when they're de- going through the process of determination, but that, that sounds like one of those nebulous kind of what is reasonable care. Can, can you define that a bit more accurately? It, 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 well, it, it, it's a difficult one, this, because um, HMRC deliberately have, have been quite loose in their, their, their wording around this because um, they don't want to um, tie themselves up in knots if they later want to say that, well, you made their incorrect determination. Um, essentially, my view on, on all of this is um, providing 
employers and contractors can show that they've made a genuine effort to be compliant. Um, you know, they've got a policy on it. They can show that they potentially they've got the right sort of contracts, risk assessments. HMRC will look upon that favourably, even if they ultimately disagree with the status determination. Um, it is much, much less likely that they will impose any of the penalty sanctions of HMRC because it's not 100% clear. There are elements of grey around this. And therefore, um, but HMRC actually are there to help. Um, there's a lot of information that's available. And if uh, employees can show that they've made a genuine effort uh, and they've made a genuine determination, um, they've not tried to fudge it so that someone's deliberately outside IL35 for their own benefit, um, you'll probably be all right. One thing I would say as well, actually, um, about reasonable care is actually even when you... Um, have someone who's a self-employed contractor, um, it might be worth asking them for evidence, uh, the contractor for evidence, that they've um, accounted for tax correctly on any income derived from a, a contract. I suppose that, that leaves me with final question, which is what do you do in the case of there being multiple parties in the supply chain? Because I know supply chain is quite important. Yeah, it, it is um, um, it's quite a complex issue, actually, but Stripping it back to basics and ultimately what people are, are, are want to know is is the, the key is who is ultimately receiving the services. So who's the end engager and who is supplying the services. And if the relationship between, um, we'll term the engager and, and the supplier of services is such that, the, the, that, that supplier is essentially an employee or not, as the case may be, um, what happens in the middle actually is somewhat irrelevant there's rules around agency and, and things like that but i won't go into that because it's quite complex um but the key is who's supplying the services who's receiving the services and what ultimately is the nature of their relationship uh using the things like i said about control substitution financial risk neutrality of obligation part and parcel all of those factors that's where the status determination lies and you can kind of rectify what happens in between according to that status determination and the rest is a relatively straightforward, common sense approach about working well with each other yeah. in the circumstances. Yeah. So, so best outcome for all parties involved. Yeah, I said that there's some um, a little bit more unusual uh, issues around what we call intermediaries and agency, um, but providing that the overriding status determination is correct, what happens in the middle can can be sorted essentially. And would you recommend uh, third party involvement to help anybody that may want? further information on this or the best way to approach it yeah there's there's two um key aspects i suppose to the advice work that that um surrounds ir35 and, and by the way ir35 is going to be an ongoing commitment there's there's the accountancy advice obviously um this is ultimately a tax related issue um and, and but then there's obviously the legal advice in terms of actually making sure you're getting the contracts the legal contracts and the policies rec um, actually correctly documenting what the relationship is so um, and considering the tax implications for both the engager and the supplier of services, it is very much worth getting that advice and getting it done properly. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you very much. So, Richard, just as a reminder for anybody who may not know, hopefully they do if they're listening to this, what date does this come into force? It comes in on the 6th of April. And what happens if I'm non-compliant? Right. So... Looking at the uh, engager firstly, so big business, above £10 million turnover, above 50 employees. If they make an incorrect 
certainly a, a deliberately incorrect status determination about a contractor. The business will be liable for any tax which would have as if that person had been employed. Um, so that will include all of the employees tax, um, all of the employers NI potentially, as well as a, a, a potentially a punitive penalty in addition. Bearing in mind the difference in tax rates, um, the contractor potentially um, paying themselves as dividends, which might attract tax at 7.5% or 30% compared to a tax rate of 40%. Um, the difference is huge, um, plus the 13.8% or whatever it is, employers and I. Um, you could be talking very, very quickly at tens of thousands of pounds, um, not to mention any penalties. So it is incredibly important to get it right um, from the outset. Equally, from the contractor's perspective, um, if they do genuinely feel that they're going to be outside IR35 and can justify that situation, it's worth putting a little bit of effort into actually giving some comfort to the engager as to why they sit outside IR35. And will there be any kind of grace period? Um Unofficially, and there's been no formal amount announcements to this effect, but unofficially, the indication that we're getting from HMRC is that they're going to there's going to be about a year sort of grace period when they accept that people will be still finding their feet around this. We saw something a little bit similar around JD protection and GDPR, and when all of that came in, that it, it perhaps um, there was a period of time where people it was accepted was going to be a little bit uncertain as to how the rules actually applied. I think this will be very similar. But still, the best advice is don't wait. Do it now or at least start looking into it. And hopefully this has been a good start. So thank hopefully you very so. much. Thank you very much. If you want to delve deeper into this or find out more about the subject, you'll be able to find more details at eisenharrison.co.uk. Mm-hmm.